Hello, Tabernacle. Good morning. Uh, I haven't preached here in like an hour, so uh, it's been crazy. I'm glad to be back. Um, so I'm Mark Corbett, uh, formerly the RUF campus minister in Lynchburg. Um, been doing RUF about 17 years, and now my wife and I are taking a ministry sabbatical and um, doing houses, like a, a ministry of place, a ministry of hospitality, ministry of, of presence, and, uh, and man, it's just been, it's just been amazing to, uh, to actually start something at the beginning of the day and then see tangible results uh, immediately. Like, at the beginning of the day, the house was not painted. At the end of the day, it's painted. So, these are things that uh, Essen doesn't get as much, and pa- pastors don't get. So it's more of a, a long ob- an obedience in a long direction, and, and uh, the wind blows where it wills, and no one can see where it's going. Uh, but yet God, God is faithful, and God is at work as well. So, um, yeah, uh, so, so good to be here this morning with you um, uh, kids, uh, we're talking about fear. We're talking about being afraid this morning. And uh, little kids and big kids, I want to ask you, uh, when was a last, can you think of a time when you've been really afraid, um, really scared? Maybe you've, you're, you know, you've grabbed onto your uh, parent's leg and in fear, or maybe in a movie, like uh, sometimes my kids would do this during an intense scene of a movie. Um, I remember, I was just uh, thinking about in middle school, there was this kid who was like twice my size, if you can believe that. And, uh, and, and constantly this happened, like he would come in the bathroom, the men's bathroom, boys' bathroom, and he would grab my little brown lunch sack and he would pull out my little Debbie snap snack cake and he'd just eat it like just right there like and uh and I just didn't do anything like because like it it wouldn't have made any difference it would be like fighting Thanos or something like that like there's no there's no point to it there's no there's no sense in sacrificing yourself in that way like just being afraid um Lecrae uh, some of you know the artist Lecrae. He wrote a song called Fear, and he reflected back on those people in high school that he was afraid of. And he said, if I could go back in time, I would stand and say something like, I ain't never scared. Never scared. Never scared. And then his very next lyric is, I'm lying. I'm scared of the thoughts in my head. Bible on my dresser that can teach my pain a lesson, but I'd rather not address it, address that's in depression. I'm scared if I confess it, that you're going to look at me like I'm something else, and I'm such a mess. Where do the Lord's sheep go when they're afraid? And there's this temptation in churches, I don't know why, it's kind of crazy, but there's this t- temptation at churches to want to say, I ain't never scared. 
Never scared, never scared. Because perhaps uh, we don't want to confess and we don't want to be seen as something else and we don't want to be seen as a mess. But let me, let me encourage you, Tabernacle, to be a culture that confesses our fears, um, that is willing to be messes together, where it's okay not to be okay. And we see in the Psalms, talk about where we go when we're afraid, we see in the Psalms, like Psalm 46 that we're going to look at this morning, that Jesus gives us words to confess and words to express our fear. The Bible doesn't... I love what Essen said on the cover here. He said, uh, Ever heard of a courageous sheep? Neither have I. And No wonder the Bible says over and over, don't fear. Don't be afraid. And it talks about fear. Um, I don't know, like 500 times or something. You can pull out your concordance and look that up this afternoon. But let's look at Psalms, Psalm 46. It's a, it's a song where we express our honesty. Oh, for a culture of honesty in the church. Honest, honest uh, confession, honest words to God about our fear. So let's take a look together at Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He, he makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the very word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. Father, we thank you that though there are things in our lives that we thought would always be and are not now and it makes us afraid um, it fills our hearts with fear we thank you that your word endures forever 
And I pray that you would come uh, to those of us who are anxious spirits and that you would uh, open up our hearts and our minds uh, that we might see you, Lord God, as our great shepherd and as our great fortress, that we might run to you when we're afraid. Um, So many of us, God, are running away from you right now. And we're not sure if we can trust you. And God, I pray that you would um, present yourself and offer yourself up to us in Psalm 46 as good and as able to be trusted. Uh, Let the cobwebs fall from our minds and hearts that we can hear clearly, unstop our ears. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the imagery in this psalm is more powerful than just, I was afraid. I felt a little nervous and I was afraid. You see words like, the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea. Um, Last year, on our family beach trip, we were sitting on the beach in, in South Carolina and, uh, and just like looking out over the ocean and Amy and I were like chit-chatting and everything was peaceful and wonderful. Kids are playing. And in two words, it's like the earth gave way. And those two words were this, where's Jameson? Where's my son? And I was like, surely when I lift my head, (laughs) I will see him. But I didn't see him. I didn't see him out in the ocean, thankfully, all among the waves, scanning the ocean. I didn't see him to my left, and I didn't see him as far as I could see to my right. Where's Jameson? And my head started spinning. It felt like the earth had just given way. And thankfully, my daughter was playing with a girl who said, I saw him go that way. And he's walking with his little puddle jumper down the beach a long, long way from where our umbrella was pitched there. And so what happened at that moment as like the earth gave way is uh, in my little five foot seven body, adrenaline filled it up. Like, and I started running down the beach at just uh, the, the, the pace of probably like some kind of track star. I probably could have beat somebody in a foot race at that point uh, because of the amount of adrenaline that was pumping in my blood. And sure enough, like I saw him in the distance uh, with his puddle jumper kind of sagging and he's like walking and, you know, lip stuck out type thing. Uh, what, what had happened was some other lady or something had pitched an umbrella next to ours, and so it fooled his uh, sense of, like, that's where mom and dad are. And as I'm running, I'm, I'm, my son is black, and I'm white, and uh, believe it or not, and, and I, I was, like, running, you know, and I was thinking, people are going to think, who's this white guy trying to chase down this, this little kid on the beach? Like, somebody called the police, like... Uh, but, but nonetheless, like I got there and folks knew dad was there. 
and Jameson knew that Dad was there. Now that sort of uh, fear, that fear when adrenaline-like pumps into our body, and maybe you felt it in all different scenarios and circumstances, someone pulls out in front of you and you go from a leisurely drive to, you know, that is like a God-given natural response to things that are going on in, in your life. Like your adrenaline kicks in, you run fast, or you hit the brakes fast, or you swerve fast, and the crisis, whatever it is, is averted through the adrenaline like produced from your fear. But there is another kind of fear, my friends, where it is unhealthy. One psychologist described it, you know, it's anxiety, and he defined it like this, an abiding feeling of hollowness, an abiding feeling that your life is fragile. An abiding feeling of hollowness. An abiding feeling that your life is fragile. And he said, anxiety is what we feel when our existence as selves is threatened. So it's not some quick shot of adrenaline, is it? It's a constant shot of adrenaline. It's a shot of adrenaline that is so intense and so much that your body can't even really produce adrenaline much anymore. Um, some folks call it adrenal fatigue syndrome. Where you're just like constantly feeling like our existence itself is threatened. Constantly feeling like life is fragile and this abiding feeling of hollowness. And you know, many of you that uh, connect with these things, you're, you're already like, yes, 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 yes. That's the one that, that gets us. That's the one that we are, are plagued with. And where do you go when you are uh, threatened with an ancient feeling of hollowness and emptiness? Where do you go when depression, a cousin of anxiety, sets in? You go inside the tree like this, right? Like you're, you're shivering, you're shaking. You're, where do you go? Where do you turn? A couple of things I want to mention as a minister of the gospel who's seen lots of college students in this situation and who's been in this situation himself. Go to your doctor. Right? That's not, I don't know why, like sometimes students would say, like, well, my parents, they're Christians and they don't believe in, in doctors and medication. When it comes, and it's like, what? Come on. Like, we are bodies. <laughs> we have chemicals. We have stuff like adrenaline. Uh, God puts us in flesh. God puts us in bodies. And because we are created as bodies that are tangible, like we go to physicians who deal in uh, the realm of bodies and tangible things. Um, and, and, they, and they can help us. Like um, I have a friend who's um, one of his glands was not producing, uh, I think it's the pituitary gland, I can't remember, I'm, I'm just a pastor, uh, is not producing testosterone. Only, he just had estrogen and no testosterone in his body. And so you can imagine, he didn't really want to get out of bed and stuff like that, and he was acting very strange. And it, it was because he went to the doctor that he found out there was a growth 
that was on his pituitary gland that needed to be addressed. So please, like, go to your doctor. Also, go to counseling. Uh, if, if we're a culture of honesty, if we're a culture that believes Genesis 3, that we are indeed fallen, that we are indeed messed up, uh, then counselors should be profiting from all, you know, we, there's, there's more people that need to see a counselor than there are counselors. My daughter asked me once, I was on my way to counseling, she said, Dad, why do you go to counseling so much? And I just looked at her and said, it's because I'm so messed up, right? Genesis 3 is true. But also, that's like the physical realm, and, the, and, and there's a, an interconnected, uh, what theologians call psychosomatic unity between the body and the soul. And, and so it's kind of hard to separate, separate out sometimes what is what. But we also want to address the soul with God's word. Not the soul and not the body, you know, soul, not body, or body, not soul, but soul and body, like this psychosomatic unity. And so one of the places in God's word to go with our fear is Psalm 46. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, if you've ever read much about him or, or watched anything about him, you might know he struggled with anxiety, among, among a lot of other things, right? And, and it's like, boy, he would have been helped if he were born in a different time period where medications were available to him. But the way he handled these things was he went to God's Word. He went to Psalm 46. In fact, he would say to his friend Philip Melanchthon, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And they did that together. And from that 46th Psalm, there's a hymn that you might know that he wrote. A mighty fortress is our God. Born out of that fear and darkness and anxiety. There's two truths in the psalm that I want, I want us to notice. And one is, it's, there's the reality of chaotic circumstances. We're honest because the Bible is honest. And then there's the reality of a present and mighty shepherd. The reality of chaotic circumstances and the reality of a present and mighty shepherd. Number one, the circumstances. The Bible's like laser precision talks about these things. FDR was wrong. There is more to fear than fear itself. Right? Uh, verse 2 says, do not fear. Because there's things to fear. <laughs> and we have a tendency to be afraid. And the Bible uses rich imagery to talk about fear. Like the earth gives way. Which I just mentioned earlier. But think about it for yourself. Have you found that there's something that you thought was solid and it kind of moved out from underneath you? One of my earliest memories, um, now I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church like uh, the other three-fourths of the PCA. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, we laugh, right? And, uh, and, and in the Southern Baptist Church, 
the hallmark of spirituality. You can attend church Sunday morning, that's fine. But you have to go Sunday morning, when, when's the other one? Sunday night, and Wednesday night, right? There's, here every time the doors open, or another level of, you know, you're here even for the business meetings and such, like everything. Um, so my dad, one Sunday night, decided, and I was like five years old, that he was going to stay home and work on this pool that he was building and installing at, at our house. Like, and, and he's like putting screen over the pool. This is down in South Carolina. We probably should have gone further south to do that. There was still snow at times. Uh, but, but he stayed home from church, and he, he worked on that screen, and he fell off the ladder, and he was like the first guy to jump in the swimming pool kind of thing. Um, except, you know, he came out with a broken arm and a broken leg. And he thinks it's because he stayed home from church. But, uh, you know, we know. We know that's bad theology, right? Going to get rid of that theology. Um, and, and, uh, but I remember as a kid, the first time I saw him after that, going into his bedroom, and he's got the cast on his leg and the cast on his arm. And I was just started crying. Like that was my first response was to start crying. And why was I crying? It was because my dad, who was kind of an invincible Superman at age five, was broken. He was able to be broken. And that was terrifying. The earth had given way under me. Um, and maybe you're dealing with that in some way or some form now, whether, whether you're a little one or, or a big little one. Um, and then verse 2, the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. And it's a wonderful drive over here. I, you know, it's like, oh gosh, i got to drive to Waynesboro from Lynchburg in the fall. Oh my gosh, like... And like, you know, and I'm like, I never want to take for granted how awesome this is. Like, that breathtaking turn when you get on 64 and start heading this way and you look over in the valley, do not take that for granted. Um, and just all of the mountains that we have in between here and there and the beautiful fall foliage. Like, uh, my kids are here and, and we're going to, we're going to ride back on the parkway a little bit and take that in some more. But I might look at that and I might think things like, and this is kind of, you know, fatalist type guy that I am. Like, you know, I look and I'm like, how much longer are those leaves going to be there? Winter is coming. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you're trying to appreciate it, but then at the same time in the back of your mind, you're like, these are going to fall to the ground. And, and, and winter, winter is going to be here, right? But one thing I never do is, is look at the mountains and say, how much longer are these things going to be here, right? I do have confidence that however many, in whatever season I drive from Lynchburg to Waynesboro or, or from Lynchburg up north through the mountains, the mountains will be there. And so the image, you get it, that the psalm, the psalm uses of the mountains falling into the sea, the unexpected happening, 
things always being a certain way, and then the reality of chaos comes. At RUF staff training, we had a couple speak. They had been married. Oh, I think they were about to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary. 30 years of marriage. He's an elder in PCA church and just this sweet couple. And he was going to surprise her for the 30th anniversary getaway. Well, he went off on some trip. And the wife said, I'm going to log into his computer and find out where is it that he's taking me. But what she found out when she logged in is that he has a serious addiction. And can you imagine, like, the joy of that trip? And then he's gone somewhere on another trip. And then you discover that really the mountains have fallen into the sea. This husband, this man of of reputation and, and integrity and who's loved you faithfully for 30 years has this addiction so, so what, where do you go? Verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. We see that, don't we? Uh, when you have nations, all ethnicities and people groups and um, different philosophies about how to govern this country, like raging and fighting and kingdoms tottering and then this chaos this reality of chaos just really brings like this low level anxiety right and you're really like is god good you know and and it leads us even many of us it leads us to question the faith um Listen to these words that one Christian wrote in her journal. There's so much contradiction in my soul. No faith. No love. No zeal. I find no words to express the depths of darkness. My heart is so empty. So full of darkness. I don't pray any longer. The work holds no joy. No attraction. No zeal. I have no faith. I don't believe. Who do you think wrote that? You actually know this name. Mother Teresa wrote that in her journal. Now, I'm not sure like how the board or who, who decides who's a saint, right? but somehow this didn't come up as evidence to disqualify her from sainthood at that meeting. Somehow this didn't come up to question her whole faith or the church or the, the validity of Christianity alone. And it wasn't that the church didn't know about those letters. Like, they knew about them. And, and Mother Teresa wrote them and said, would you please scratch those from the record, right? I, I wrote that in a dark time. Just scratch that from the record. And they very wisely refused her request to do these things. God doesn't scratch Psalm 46 from the record. He doesn't scratch Psalm 88, which ends in this way, 
Darkness is my only friend. Darkness is my only companion. Now, um, imagine like uh, we're, we're having uh, worship. And at the end of the worship song, it's like, darkness is my only companion. And then you are dismissed, you know. <laughs> go, go forth and, and serve the world. But yet, that's, that's how it ends sometimes. Like there's no resolution some nights. When you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and there's whole seasons of our lives that it seems like darkness is our only companion. And God preserves those words to express our fear, to express what's going on in our hearts, right back to Him. And, and then one of my favorites is from Psalm 39. It, it ends with a prayer. Lord, turn away from us that we might have a moment's peace before we die. Right? I just, and He's not like, shh. But He actually preserves that. He breathes that out in His words so that we have something that we can use to be honest and to express those things to Him. Jesus used the Psalms in that way, did He not? When He said, my God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And to follow Jesus, our shepherd, kind of going back to this series, to follow our shepherd is to follow the shepherd who's called the suffering servant. And if our shepherd is the suffering servant, what should we expect of those of us who are his sheep? And we might wonder, why is it that there's suffering? And yet, because we can't figure out a good reason why, doesn't mean there isn't a good reason why. Because God brought his only son, who... You know, if there was church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, he went every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He did everything right. He obeyed his parents every single time. And yet he was a suffering servant. And so Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. I don't know what it is, but as I got older, into my 30s and 40s, like, I, you know, it's like I kind of had a good life. Like, why is all this stuff happening to me? Don't be surprised. There's nothing strange that's happening to you. Sometimes we call uh, these, these kinds of things um, the Corbett curse. <laughs> the Corbett curse has struck. But we shouldn't flatter ourselves. The Corbett curse is just the curse. Everybody gets it. And so what do we do when our existence as selves is threatened? Fix our gaze on our present and mighty shepherd. He's bidding us to come out from our fear. To run to him. The Lord of hosts is with us. The us there. We're all in this together. The church is the 
community of honesty. What happened to that couple's marriage when the wife was devastated and the husband devastated by his internet history? They went out of darkness and out of hiding and into light, confessing sin to one another that we may be healed. And he got counseling and pastoring. And it's kind of like when there's a broken bone, those of you that have experienced this, when it heals back over, it's a little stronger than it was before. Right? Because um, these things, this addiction he had was just a symptom of bigger issues like fear. So let's not, let's not pretend. Let's not stay in the dark. God is with us. And, it, and it's no accident it says with us, not just with you, with, with me, but with us together. He's a very present help in trouble. Even, even if he feels absent, he's very present. I love that moment on the beach with Jameson. There was that terror of absence, but then that sweetness of presence when I arrived and scooped him up on the beach and and pulled him close. And I thought later about how God does that with us while we were still a long way off, while we were rehearsing our speech Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your... Shh! We're not going to talk about slaves here. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters of the king. And he comes near and he comes close to us and he kisses us and he puts a ring on our finger and he says, my son, my daughter who was lost is found. You're once dead, but you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's very present with us, a very present help in trouble. And then verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That mountain's not going to fall into the sea. As fears try to pull us out, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. God is with us. Now we might have chemicals in our brain that convinces us that God is not with us. But he draws near to us. And he draws close to us. And Jesus said, do not fear. I will not leave you as orphans. He hasn't just like abandoned us. But he draws near to us. I will come to you. And he comes to us by the Holy Spirit and he's even more present with us by the Holy Spirit than if he were here physically. And he's present with us in the bread and the wine. And as you come in a moment to take and eat and to drink, realize that just as real as that bread is on your lips and just as real as the taste of that wine, that's how real God's presence is in your life and his love is for you. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that question of doubt and suffering and why suffering, what answer would you really be satisfied with? What if God shows up and takes you through a PowerPoint presentation about it and gives you three principles of why suffering exists? He gives us more than that. He gives us his son, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, who does not leave us as orphans, but who comes to us. And when we fix our gaze on our shepherd, who is really more than a shepherd, but a fortress, a gigantic fortress of safety, He says, be still, verse 10. And the language of be still is not just like uh, a game of red light, green light, you know, and you're like red light, you know, and you're frozen and still. You used to kind of think of it that way for some reason. Uh, But it's, it's war has ended language, as we'll see in a second. The war is over. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your guns. Daughters of Zion. Daughters and sons. I think I just quoted a song. In, uh, in January 1st, uh, 1863, President Lincoln brought forth the Emancipation Proclamation. He made the Emancipation Proclamation that all slaves are free. 1863. But it wasn't until about a year and a half later, June 19th, um, as some of you know, it was a holiday called Juneteenth. Uh, On Juneteenth, 1865, is when the news of that proclamation of freedom finally reached Texas. Imagine that, like a year not really knowing that you're free. And, there, and there's a lot of, of, of God's children. We don't really realize we're free. Or we're experiencing the proclamation, you shall know the truth and the truth which shall set you free. But we haven't yet realized it fully. It's the already and the not yet. Because the struggle that we face continues. In the midst of life's chaos, lay down your weapons. Lay down your guns because let's fix our eyes on our shepherd and our mighty fortress because he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Imagine that chaos and that turmoil stopping. The war is over so we can be still. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. So the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Father God, we 
Thank you for this language that the war has ended. And yet, we know that the struggle continues and there's still conflicts in our hearts and we still, all of our fear is not gone. We still need to uh, turn to one another and say, come, let us sing the 46th Psalm. But I pray that we would uh, do so knowing that the battle is over, knowing that the war is ended, even if we haven't uh, realized it fully yet. Uh, So be with us, God, um, as we struggle, and be with us as we walk together. And we pray this all in Christ's name.